0: Thank mm-hmm. you
1: Folks, you guys are going to love this episode. But really quick, I did want to give you a heads up. This is about a three and a half hour long one. You get two hours or so of free content and then an hour and a half behind the paywall. Okay, so usually you're getting like a half an hour or so. Since this one was so long, I wanted to you know make it worth it for the people that support the show financially, which I can't thank you enough. Hey, if you can't afford the three dollars not going to hold it against you, okay? If you can't do that, spread the love. Tell your family about the show, your friends, your pets, your fish, your lizards, whatever. We need listens over here, okay? Those things are ticking up, and I like seeing that thing grow, okay? Um, you can also leave five-star reviews. That's a great way, awesome way to help the show. But, um, yeah, we, we made this one definitely worth it for the Patreon subscribers, man. So thanks a lot to you folks, first and foremost. And uh, wild, wild stuff here. Shannon from the Secret Squirrel podcast hops on. He does the entire episode with me. And then Paranoid American jumps on, I don't know, maybe an hour or so into the show. And he stays for the remainder. So, uh, you know, he's always bringing fire. Shannon's always bringing fire. I try to bring fire. Usually I bring the water on accident and put the fires out. But, uh, you know, this was a great one. I think that you're really going to enjoy it and hopefully learn a thing or two about the spiritual foundation of the United Nations. You heard me right. There's this weird esoteric society that actually has serious pull over the United Nations, the one world religion, and, of course, the new world order. Okay? Enjoy this episode. Tell your friends about it. Join that Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. I'm going to shut up. Let's just roll right into this episode, guys. Enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, we have something pretty interesting to talk about here today. Brought on Shannon from the uh, podcast that should be starting up any day now. I'm excited to get this thing, uh, get get this out to you guys, man, because not only is Shannon always sending me some interesting information, um, he's a good dude, you know, and I'm not trying to talk about him like he's not here. He's listening in on this. He knows what I'm saying. Uh, Shannon, what's going on with you, dude?
2: Nothing, man. How you doing? Good. Good to be back. I like being on and uh, kicking it with you, man.
1: Yeah, me too. Dude, we talk pretty much every day, too. You know, and you kind of just reached out and then you've been really sending me some great information, the most recent of which being the Lucius Trust, um, some sometimes referred to as the Lucas Trust or Lucy's Trust. And um, this is some interesting stuff, dude. I had heard Alex Jones mention it a long time ago. Didn't put any thought into it. But now that we're starting to see some of these things manifest in the world, and it uh, seems like this new world religion is starting to get a little stronger, I think that the, it bears some some discussion here at the very least.
2: Oh, yeah, I agree, man. It's, it's definitely something you don't hear a lot of, of people talk about. Most people probably aren't even aware of that these people exist and, and then you find out they branch out into so many other organizations and different groups and so many of these big players are involved with them and you don't really hear too much about them. So we're still learning ourselves about them. I mean, so as we go along we'll learn from each other and hopefully uh everyone out there will learn something too.
1: Yeah, it might be something that that we revisit. And uh, I think definitely on my Patreon, uh one of the rants, we're gonna discuss Alice Bailey a little more. She's of course the founder of the luciferian trust which changed its name for political reasons obviously and this is the spiritual foundation for the united nations so this is no crackpot thing it might sound like they're throwing around some wild ideas to you out there um, especially if you're more christian or jewish or islamic one of these abrahamic religions or the religions of the west as a whole but there's definitely some merit to the things that they talk about And uh, mostly just because, and I would say the reason that I say that is because you see a lot of global leaders that are very, very involved in this stuff. So we're going to talk about uh, Alice Bailey, her husband Foster a little bit, um, the Lucius Trust or the Lucy's Trust, and how it became that from the Lucifer Trust. Um, This is based a little bit off of the Theosophical Society and Madame Blavatsky's work. Um, and the only reason that I say a little bit is because they did kind of have some fighting within uh, that whole theosophical society. So Alice Bailey splinters off and creates her own thing. And then we'll talk about um, just the the weird beliefs that they have. There's a 10 part plan that um, will usher in the New World Order, according to Alice Bailey and some of her work. And then this will get us into Dr. Robert Muller not the Robert Mueller that most of you guys are probably thinking of that was involved with the Trump scandal and all that stuff. This is an entirely different dude. And then uh, we'll talk about the three individual organizations underneath the Lucius organization or the Lucius Trust, the Arcane School, Triangles, and World Goodwill. Um, we'll probably touch on quite a few other things here, but uh, plug your stuff real quick, Shannon, before uh, you know we, we get rolling into the episode here. I know that you're about to start that secret scroll up.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, It should be coming on. What is today? Today is Wednesday. Yeah. Should be coming on re- real soon here. I already got a few episodes recorded. It's just a matter of uh, editing them and then throwing them on there, and we should be good to go. Uh, you can get a hold of me at podcast at gmail.com.
1: Sweet. And, um, yeah, this will hopefully be on your feed as well because you're obviously contributing a lot to this episode. You sent me a lot of links. And then I did my thing. I started researching it and found some wild stuff, dude. So, um, of course, you can find me at uh, Dangerous World Podcast. Patreon.com slash Dangerous World Podcast is my favorite website right now uh, just because they're really helping me out, man. I I appreciate that whole platform. It's pretty badass. Um, You can straight up just stream the episodes. The app is dope, and you can plug in that RSS feed and get all your good stuff the same way that you're listening to me right now, whether it's iTunes, Google, I think Spotify as well. You just plug that RSS feed in and you're ready to listen the exact same way. So I appreciate that. It's actually how I met Shannon here. So this is going to be fun. But um, yeah, dude, uh, where do you want to start, man? I was thinking, you know, kind of talking a little bit about where the, the United Nations enters into this whole New World Order plan. And, you know, they're part of one of six groups that. You know, this this packet that you kind of sent over to me here lists as as crucial new world order organizations.
2: Yeah, we can start with wherever you want, man. Touch on whatever you want before. I think we get into Bailey. We should hit on the the society that they came out of for sure.
1: Sweet. okay. and I should add, too, before we really roll into the episode, we are going to have the paranoid American join later. And uh this guy's always got some really interesting information to talk about. Dude's very, very knowledgeable. He's got that awesome comic book company and, uh, you know, coloring books, all kinds of cool shit they're putting out. So uh, when he hops in, he'll plug his stuff and then he'll uh, share some of his knowledge on it because he's got a, a unique knowledge base on this. So, you know, we'll, we'll be all over the place here with this, but it's definitely some cool shit. So um, I guess let's get into it, man. We got these six groups. Um, you've heard of most of them. The one that I had not heard of was the Gorbachev Foundation. But you do have the United Nations, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderberg Group, the Gorbachev Foundation, which again, only one I hadn't heard of. And then, of course, the Club of Rome. And these six foundations are, like I said, really critical to promoting the New World Order and this one world government, one world religion, um, the financial system's all gonna get tied together, and they have seven goals a- according to this information too. they want to merge God with nature. this is what they call ecology. uh they want to instill eugenics, which it seems like they're they're on their way to doing that eradicate male and female distinction or make everyone androgynous essentially again, I see that happening everywhere around me. Um, the fourth goal here is world peace and nuclear disarmament, which I know that like you know the um the uh what is that that apocalypse clock i just did a freaking episode on them a while ago doomsday clock that's big with them too um you have the the fifth goal being one world economic financial system six is one world government seven is the one world religion and that's really where we get this theosophical society and the lucas trust um what do you think so far dude i mean do you see like the goals here being met for the new world order
2: I don't know, man. When I came across it, I was like, man, number one, check, number two, mm-hmm. check all the way down. And I mean, I don't know. It seems it seems like they pretty much got them all in place.
1: Yeah, the one world government is gonna be one of the later ones. And then the financial system, it seems like they're working on that now, dude, with the diminishing of the dollar. Um, that's the base currency of the entire world, the petrodollar. And we're moving away from that. You know what I mean? I think crypto's gonna enter in here with that. And uh yeah, yeah dude, it's uh Seems like they're well on their way, for sure.
2: Yeah, I agree, man. I think uh, whatever their plans are, it looks like uh, according to their 10-point plan, they got it pretty well established.
1: Yeah. Yeah, dude. And yeah, once we go through that 10-point plan here towards the end, um, there's some great little themes to it, too, man. Like uh this, this packet that you sent, it lists what the goal is, and then it lists what uh Bailey said about why the goal is so important so it's real cool I don't know maybe we can alternate going through that or if uh if Thomas is still on here during that we can uh we can kind of I'll just talk about that it's a it's wild but like we were saying before we wanted to roll into the uh Lucas Trust or what do you call it by the way do you call it Lucas Lucius Lucy's what do you call it
2: I call it I always say Lucius
1: Lucius okay Lucis.
2: But I have no idea. I mean, I'm I'm a southerner guy, so who knows how you say it, man. Evil.
1: Yeah, definitely evil. I mean, yeah, Lucis would make sense because it's Lucifer. Um, I do think it is probably either that or Lucy's. Um, but I've heard like English people, they refer to it as lucius Um, but yeah, so we'll we'll just go with I mean, if we say any of those terms, you know what we're talking about here. But before we really get into that, I wanted to touch on this Theosophical Society a little bit and just Madame Blavatsky. Um, she's a weird, weird chick, dude. Have you seen
2: pictures of this lady? Yeah, yeah, I've seen her. Yeah, she is definitely strange looking, right?
1: Yeah, creepy, really weird, man. Doesn't smile, and it's like you know that the old school pictures where no one smiles, but she definitely has like a, a witch kind of vibe to her. But uh um, yeah, creepy vibe for sure, for sure, dude. And jump in here at any point, um, because I'm I'm gonna be reading off some notes here that I took, um. Most of this is sourced off of their website directly. It's just Theosophical.org. And then I did a little bit of digging on some of these things because they do such a good job of making their organization seem like they're good and pure, and they're trying to better humanity. But once you dig a little deeper, you can see that the opposite seems to be true. Now, what it is, it's Helena Petrovna Blavatsky was a Russian noblewoman who actually became the first ever Russian woman made a U.S. citizen, which I thought was insane, referred to commonly as simply Madame Blavatsky. She traveled the world as a young woman searching for ancient wisdom and the reason why humans are here on Earth. So they took a lot of this old esoteric religion, uh, the ancient mysteries and the mystery schools, and they made them more commonly researched among elites and like scholars and people that were actually kind of going out searching for this information. And this society started in uh 1875 in New York and mixes Eastern religion with Western and the more new religions. And according to their site, which is again theosophical.org, they have these three core principles. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting too, because like these, you know, businesses and organizations often have three core principles, five core principles listed on their site, and they want that known to everybody. So these three principles are this. You got one, to form a nucleus of the universal brotherhood of humanity without distinction of race, creed, sex, caste, or color. Two, to encourage the comparative study of religion, philosophy, and science. Three, to investigate unexplained laws of nature and the powers latent in humanity. These powers latent in humanity, meaning like powers that we haven't really understood that we have yet as the masses. You know what I mean? Um, now, the this dude, there was a couple people involved with starting it other than just Blavatsky. You have Colonel Henry S. Olcott. And this dude was a trip to look into a little bit, too. He's the first president of the society. He was a Civil War vet on the northern side. He was also a lawyer a journalist and a Buddhist. And then you may have also guessed he was a Freemason for sure as well. And uh, this is what I thought was crazy is that he was actually on the commission in charge of the investigation of the assassination of president Abraham Lincoln. So this dude was a high roller, man. It's kind of wild to think that this guy that has his fingers in government and politics is like, even back then in the, you know, 1800s was, you know, involved in this theosophical society at the highest levels. He's the first president connected very, very deeply with Blavatsky.
2: Makes you wonder, right? How far back this stuff all goes. It's like, my gosh, man, they had it down pat back then, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I, you, you'd think like, and I'm sure that you, you know, this too is like, it's got to have been easier to keep these things secret back then. You know what I mean? There's no internet. No one really cared about this. It was just day-to-day life shit that that people were concerned about.
2: Right. Right. So, I mean, I don't, and they still did a good job of even concealing it and just the, the writing, even the writings themselves, you know, they're, they're like masters of manipulation of the word.
1: Yeah, definitely, dude. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of, kind of weird to think too, that these guys started the wave of spiritualism. And I have a big problem with spiritualism, the way that people describe it. I understand that spiritualism can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. But when people start talking about spiritualism, a lot of the people that are involved in conspiracies and then think that it has everything to do with spirituality are being misled through groups like this. Like all these free thinkers that kind of think the same. They kind of mindlessly follow unknowingly. They follow this Madame Blavatsky and this Theosophical Society.
2: Yeah, they've, they've managed to infiltrate. It looks like a lot of stuff like, you know, disguising it as something else.
1: Well, and that's probably what's made it so difficult for a lot of people to to understand is that the amount of misinformation back then in the 1800s was probably kept to a minimum because, again, no one really went out looking for this stuff. But now you have more, you know, younger people, um, less educated people like myself. Right. I didn't go to college. I didn't I have a high school education. I barely passed that. But now I have the Internet at my hands and I can look into this stuff myself and come to my own conclusions and actually learn a lot of shit that a lot of people back like you know 20 30 years ago even weren't able to access just because of the internet so you know it, it's it's kind of a double edged sword here um but yeah dude uh so yeah like i said they do a good job of of showing that they have these pure intentions and they also kind of take god out of the picture and put their own god in um it's weird they they don't seem to honor the god that we would think of um not just you or me but you know the average person average person thinks god is you know universally good but these guys seem to think that god has two parts to them one good one bad they're both opposite but equal it's a lot of that stuff that i was talking about in that freemason episode so i don't know dude you seem like you're christian in this whole thing do you you don't consider yourself like agnostic or anything
2: I don't know. You know, I'll be honest. I just, what I do is I read the Bible, New Testament, and I just try to follow what Jesus did because I'm a big follower and believer in him. So Mm. that's, that's what I, that's really what I try to do. I think a lot of the other stuff was misinterpreted or jacked up, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, and then you show me that symbol too. And they take anytime you see Christ, it means cross and they, they've hijacked that big time, dude. And they, they. Will, will make that cross mean like Lucifer and things like that too. So you see that in here, there's a lot, this is kind of a, an extension of that Freemason uh, two-parter that I did because they overlap so much, the Theosophical people and the Freemasons as a whole. Um, but yeah, this this idea of removing God out of the picture while somehow making claims that they're channeling some godlike figure is a reoccurring theme within Theosophy and we'll play this clip here in a little bit. It's some audio. It's about it's almost four minutes. It's longer than any kind of clips that I usually like to play on here. But it's so freaking crucial to this and it's so wild that we're looking into this stuff, Shannon. And like it happens to be that the Lucius Trust holiday is yesterday. It's 614, June 14th. And we're in the middle of looking at this stuff already. And then it just happens to pop up that yeah, this is their big holiday when they all say a prayer to try and invoke what sounds like the antichrist to me.
2: Right. And then when I was looking that up too, June 14th, is, was also the full moon. Cause that ties into, they believe uh, the strawberry moon. I believe they called it. I had it written down somewhere here and they believe that uh, when you meditate and pray on it, that it could, they can suck your energy pretty much.
1: Dude. There's a lot of people that, that believe that doing yoga, outside during a full moon, um, kind of exercising to the moon, almost um, praying to the moon, doing stuff like that, what is like a positive thing. But it seems like, again, dude, they disguise this so well, that some great people, some very, very good people that are not Luciferian, or sometimes they're even atheist or agnostic, like myself, will go out there and they'll participate in these satanic rituals, dude. And it's, it's really, really well done on their part. But it's so evil to trick people like this, man, because these are very intelligent people.
2: Right. And then the more I don't know what your conclusion was, but it seems like they were really tied into this energy and exchange of energy and trying to get energy and money is energy. And this is energy and all kinds. Everything goes back to the energy. It's real weird.
1: Well, dude, I, I have this quote here where it says money is the manifestation of energy. Right. And. If we take that that satanic principle that they like to do so much, and we inverse that, and we say energy is the manifestation of money, well, 80% of money that is in circulation right now has been printed in the last two years since COVID started. So by that right. logic, they're printing energy out right now, and, and they're expelling energy. And you can feel like since COVID started, and it's really kind of exponentially gone up in the last couple of months even, people are drained dude like no one cares everyone's very apathetic right now even my bosses at my work don't seem to really care that much you know what i mean um yeah
2: morale they they done a good job i think of getting people's morale to sink man a lot of people's morale's in the gutter
1: that's what it is dude the morale is low and i mean just think about that if if we're operating right now with 80% less energy, you know, because 80% of the money has been printed in the last couple of years. That would make sense. You know, we don't have the energy to do uh, to care about, you know, normal things, man. Like, I, I don't know, I haven't been doing yard work lately. I, I, I don't really care about any of this shit. And I mean, it's not like I love doing yard work in the first place. But it seems like a lot of pride has kind of gone down and like the good pride, not like, you know, the bad pride where it's like, you know, this bad thing. But I don't know, dude. You you see it constantly that just the the energy and the the energy is low and the apathy is high. No one cares about shit right now. So I don't know. It's all about fighting, it seems.
2: Yeah, right. But that's, I think, what they want. You know what I mean? They want yeah. that. They want to push that narrative and divide us however they can.
1: Yeah, man, they're definitely doing that very well. Um but yeah, so that was a little on the Theosophical Society, their, their kind of core principles, their main methods and how they operate. And again, this was the inspiration to Alice Bailey, her husband Foster. Um, I think she was married three times, I want to say, definitely twice, uh, potentially three times. So I uh, didn't mark that down here. But uh, Foster was also really high up in the organization, Um I'll kind of go through Alice Bailey's history a little bit, some of her personal stuff. And it's wild, dude. Um, She had some hallucinations and it sounds like she had a rough childhood and whatnot, which it seems like a lot of these people that drift into this darkness seem that seems to be a reoccurring theme. Right. You seem to definitely have rough childhood and you can go one of two ways with a bad childhood. You can be a great person or complete dirtbag, depending on how your brain works.
2: Right, and it seems like they're, it's funny how these people are always put in positions of authority or some position of power, you know?
1: Well, I think that has something to do, too, with the propaganda that Disney promotes, man. I mean, in all these uh, Disney movies, um, the parents are either gone or they're stupid or it's a broken home. Um, I just watched Rescuers Down Under the other day, and that's a phenomenal freaking movie, dude. I just watched it because I, wa- I kind of want to go back when I'm bored and watch these Disney kid movies. From an adult perspective and see what I can pick up on because they are great storylines and the animation's kind of nostalgic and it's kind of fun to go go back and look at. Dude, the symbolism in that is insane. It's wild. And so you just see this where the families are broken, and then you know, these these people that come from these broken homes go on to do great things in these Disney movies.
2: Yeah, but every dad is always a real dumbass, too. Oh yeah. You know? Or they're out of the picture, Big you know. Time. Yeah. Right. Usually they, they can't even make a cake.
1: <laughs> which one what movie are you referring to right there?
2: Dude, whatever. It don't matter. My my kid used to watch some of that, so I'd watch it with it when she was a little, man. And I forget the name of the exact show, but the guy couldn't do anything, man. His wife would do it all. She was a superhero, you know? That's
1: so <laughs> Do my favorite symbolism within Disney is uh Geppetto from uh uh freaking Pinocchio. Cause it just straight up says pedo. He's got pedophile in his name, Geppetto. You know what I mean? He's he's fucking. And then there's
2: Peter there. Pan too.
1: Well, yeah, that's a reference to Pan, the 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 god right. of mystery, right? So yeah, dude, yeah. it's endless. Yeah. it's absolutely endless in there. But anyway, back to um to Alice Bailey here and and her um, kind of the way that she got to where she was with the Lucius Trust. Um, she was an unhappy child, and it led her to attempt suicide. But at the age of 15, this mysterious stranger wearing a turban walked into her room and sat beside her and stated that she would have to prepare herself for an important mission. And so for many years, she believed that this visitor was Jesus Christ. But later, she saw a picture on the wall of the Theosophical Society when she got introduced to that, which she knew to be this stranger. And this guy was Koot Humi which actually, if you look at pictures of him, he looks exactly like the portrayals of Jesus with the sun symbolism behind him. Um, It literally just looks like Jesus with a turban on. Now what he is, he's one of these Mahatmas, one of these kind of enlightened ones or these chosen people that is very kind of godly. uh, And again, claimed to have communicated with Blavatsky back when she was doing her thing and started the Theosophical Society. So I think this was a hallucination. A lot of people, or maybe she was just straight up making it up. But followers of her say, like, no, this was real. She, you know, this this uh, Koot Hoomi manifested and you know presented himself to her so that she could go on to do these quote unquote great things and basically start this wave of Luciferianism. What are your thoughts on that, dude? Weird.
2: Yes, that real weird, and then that ties into the Theosophists with the with the with the White Brotherhood, or the Great White Brotherhood, and the Ascended Masters. That's what they believe he was, and I believe that's what caused the fallout, right? Because she was, they didn't think that she was channeling who they who they said she was, so she broke off.
1: Well, so the the fallout comes later with another one of these figures, and right. I'm, it's funny that you actually remember that cuz like if i wasn't going off notes here dude i wouldn't remember that cuz she's was supposedly visited by two separate uh mahatma type figures these chosen ones like almost christ like figures and in their mind absolutely christ like um but yeah later after she goes through this so, like i said what i think was either just complete bullshit maybe some trauma induced hallucinations or something because if she's trying to kill herself especially back then at age 15 things must have been pretty rough, right? I mean, th- this is kind of a common thing now, unfortunately, but back before technology was around and all these weird like radio signals messing with our heads, um, suicide didn't really seem like a common thing back then, especially for for kids that really shouldn't be on, an, under any stress in the first place. Um, but yeah, man, she, she goes on um, to get introduced to Theosophy um, by some of her friends after she had a failed marriage with this Episcopalian preacher. And that's another reoccurring thing with a lot of these people. They have some bad experience with like mostly Christianity, right? Um, I don't know. It seems like uh, something like that happened with Blavatsky as well, where they get very turned off by people hiding behind Christianity. So she joins the uh, society. Um, Alice Bailey, that is, joins uh, Theosophy. Joins the society and moves to the headquarters in Cortona, which is the uh, Theosophy headquarters in Hollywood back in 1917, where she edited the society's periodical, this little magazine called The Messenger, and became friendly with Foster Bailey, who ended up being her husband. And he was the national secretary of the society at that time. And so this is when shit gets wild, in my opinion here. Um in November 1919, now remember that 1919, 219s, while walking in the hills there in California at this, this headquarters in Hollywood, basically, Bailey was contacted by another spiritual master named the Jules Cool. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. There's a few different pronunciations, but the Kul, Cool, D J U A L space K H U L. And this guy is another Christ like figure. He's known as the Tibetan. And he requested her to be his emanate i think is how you say this uh, basically someone that would uh collab with him either artistically or or writing wise and um she, they they were supposed to work together and these books were going to be dictated telepathically to her kind of like the mormon story kind of like a lot of these stories where religions start she was supposed to get this message in her head and write these books down this ancient knowledge and um, yeah, dude, they they go on to do 19 books together, supposedly. OK, so 19 being, again, very, very repeated here and such a such a, a, a important number when it comes to like the alpha and the omega symbolism, God symbolism. You have covid-19, you had 19 hijackers, 19 kids died in this Uvalde thing. A lot of these rituals have the number nineteen in them for some reason. Have you noticed that?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's really tied into tied into numerology and and really tied into just the way they they can use words where you the common people will think there's something mean one word, but it means something totally opposite.
1: Yeah, yeah, dude it's 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 interesting to look into for sure. Um, but this first book that they wrote was titled Initiation, Human and Solar. So there's a lot of interesting stuff with that, too. You get like a solar initiation, human initiation. And I would imagine the molding of the or the uh, the melding of those two, the mixing of them. Um, solar, of course, kind of represented by like shining and glowing and glimmering. Um, that's a, a reference to Lucifer, I would say, the way that they see it. The Sun God, all that good shit is tied in with that uh, solar stuff. And um, they started this in 1920. And then over the next 30 years, um, 18 more books were made, again, producing 19 books, all telepathically dictated to her by um, by this Tibetan. this the jewel cool. That's wild shit, too, man. So, So if she's telling the truth, if she's not just full of shit here, she's straight up seeing two of these people right now. I don't know, dude. I think it's complete bullshit.
2: Yeah, I, I'll i be honest. I have no idea, man. It's like the more you look in all this stuff, it's like, is it real? Is it not real? I, I have no idea because they're liars themselves. So you don't know if they're even telling the truth.
1: So do you think that it is possible that she was actually visited by these things that like, you know, Christianity would view um, not only the Tibetan here. But they would view this. Um, what was the first guy's name? Cool or uh, Kutumi? They would, view uh, yeah, their... maybe
2: as like demons, and say maybe it's the same thing coming in, to represent itself as something differently. Really, it's the same entity.
1: Well, yeah, the Luciferian Bible, right? That has seventy-seven names for the devil. Now, I don't know if if Jules Kool Cool or freaking Kutumi. Would be one of those 77, but it sure seems like some sort of demon. Again, looking at it from a Christian perspective, some sort of demon would be telling her, Hey, we're going to tell you what stories to write. And not only that, dude, but this goes on to be so influential with the United Nations and this one world religion that absolutely has some antichrist symbolism within that. So, I mean, those would be demons, dude, if she actually was seeing these. I just kind of have the feeling that she was just lying just to try and start her own movement.
2: I have no idea, but the, the the, theological society, I can't even say their name, they all believe it.
1: Yeah, dude. They're no, they're, uh, they definitely go back and forth with this weird stuff. But it, it is interesting that you start seeing, you know, with her loyalty, she gets kind of upset with the, with the, um, the s- philosophy and the, the religious aspect that got her turned on to this whole thing in general. And, um, yeah, dude, I, that kind of takes you back to like that Hoot Kumi thing where I don't, or I'm sorry, the Koot Humi. I got the these initials mixed up. That, you know, she wasn't into theosophy until her friends introduced her to it. So she could have kind of gone back and and said that these things happen, even though they didn't, just to try and reiterate that, yeah, you know, there is some, some spiritual force behind me and they're telling me, hey, I'm destined to do great things and we're, you know, we're going to work on this shit and we're going to change the world here. Uniting the world under one religion sounds like a good thing in theory until you know that this is kind of like the goal Um, goes back to the Tower of Babel, right, where everyone in the world works together to try and do something. I'm not sure exactly what, but it's clearly seeming to be against the Christian God's will. So that's one thing that is definitely uh, a big turnoff with that.
2: And all these people always have huge egos and it seems like that whatever the entity is, is always feeding into their egos that they're so special and Hey, you're chosen for this. And really it's the same message and it just gets repeated over and over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man.
1: Um. So anyway, back to the notes here after these books are are starting to get created after the first one specifically, this is when she starts the Lucifer trust again. And back in 1920, and um, it was initially created to be a publishing house for this kind of work, along with some of the esoteric works, works of Lovatsky, because she did absolutely respect her work, just had some uh, bickering about the smaller details. And I think that she kind of had a big head on her because she was saying that she was chosen by these deities and, you know, wanted to go on and do her own thing. Um, but yeah. Later on, this Lu- Lucius Trust becomes um, an umbrella company for the Arcane School, the Triangles uh, organization as well, and then World Goodwill, which, like I said, we'll get into here later, hopefully when uh, when Paranoid American hops on here. But what they also do, which is very, very interesting under the Lucius Trust, is they publish and um, uh, disseminate UN propaganda. So anything that the U.N. wants printed out or typed out or published in one way or another, the Lucius Trust will be involved in that. So they're going from these ancient mystery schools to working with the biggest global organization, I would say, you know, right next to the World Economic Forum, probably a little bigger than them still. Um, I don't know, man, that's insane to me to think that this was esoteric. And now it's so mainstream in twenty twenty two.
2: Yeah. It's like, and these people became major players, you know, it's it, out of nowhere, really. I I just wonder how much her husband was pulling the strings behind for a lot of, a lot of things. Cause he seems like he's, he was a major player. In a well, lot. Go ahead. No, that's how, that's what I was going to say. seems like, and then he's tied into the UN and it's like, Holy cow. These people are all connected and it's it starts getting so weird
1: yeah i was looking at him a little bit there's not much on him like when you go and you i mean not from a glance but when you look at um you know there's when I'm my tabs here there's so many different tabs open of like theosophy and uh freemasonry and just how much those two esoteric schools of thought intermingle i mean freemasonry has taken a lot from theosophy um But yeah, so you got, uh, where is it? Alice Bailey. If you type in Alice and Foster Bailey, you don't get much about Foster off the bat. You kind of have to dig a little bit. There's this site called Theosophy Wiki. And uh, yeah, it just basically says Foster Bailey was an American publisher and writer who established the Lucius Trust, the Arcane School, and the Beacon Magazine, which is their mouthpiece. It doesn't say anything about triangles. Or uh, World Goodwill, which we will definitely get into again later in the episode. Um, Nothing too significant about his early life, just according to this simple site. But he he... took
2: I think he took over the school right when she died. I think he he took it over.
1: Uh, I don't know. I think he died in 77. I don't know when she died. Um, I I had
2: it. I I had it all down. I think it was like I want to say I'm not really sure. Actually, I shouldn't say.
1: Uh, If you want to look it up on your phone or something while I'm going here, because I'm pretty sure he died in 77 and then she dies, I think afterwards. But I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, But yeah, they lived for quite a while, man, it seemed like. And, and, you know, again, Blavatsky was around before she died, I believe, in 1891, I want to say. And yeah, man, just the same, you know. Thing just gets kind of carried on. Seems like she's carrying the torch for Blavatsky here. Did you find anything?
2: Yeah, Ellis Bailey, she died in 1949.
1: 49. Okay. So she died before him then. Interesting. Yeah. And
2: and I think he took over the Lucis Trust. And then after he passed away, I think it was their daughter that took it over. Yeah. Mary Bailey. Right. Yeah. So they just kept it in the family. But yeah. So she died first and then he, so it, it's just weird. You can't find nothing out there. So if anyone else can find anything on this dude, send it in.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was looking around for a little bit. I felt like it was more important to kind of look into. Um, yeah. It's so funny, dude. You type in Foster Bailey death on Google and it pulls up uh fucking Alice Bailey's death. You know what I mean? It's not like an easy thing. I just remember seeing uh 77 with
2: uh yeah yeah, because you asked me if i if i heard about him i'm like man, i didn't really research him because i couldn't really find anything on him too much and he was a big player so you think there would be at least some stuff to find on him
1: yeah well we'll say 77 unless someone else can can uh you know hopefully correct me if i am wrong but anyway so yeah you're right he lives on longer than her and uh, then they pass this to Mary Bailey, who, I, from what I understand, still runs the Lucius Trust today. So she's the one that's real tied in with the U.N. and and helping perpetuate the U.N. propaganda. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, Alice – and one thing, that too, that I want to point out before we kind of get back into the story here, they make it seem, when you look at uh, the Lucius Trust website and, like, information on Alice Bailey – you see, like, I thought that this dude that she was talking to, the Tibetan, was a real person, like a, a, a flesh and bone person, because they refer to him as that. And it's not even clear in in my head right now if he was real or not. Like, it totally seems like he was a spirit or some hallucination, because, like, you go and you look him up, there's no picture of him. There's a picture of that this Kuthumi guy, again, looking like Jesus. But there's no picture um, on like Wikipedia or any of these like mainstream sources of that uh, Jules cool dude. Right. So really freaking weird, man. And, and I even have in my notes when she was working with this guy um, who was a spirit again. Um, they, she, that's when she started having these disagreements with the Theosophical Society over, again, tiny details. And um, she could have just worked with them if she wanted to, but got this ego on her. And then um, starts getting this uh, this world religion cooking under her own set of rules, mixing this old ancient Eastern religion, Hinduism, Buddhism, all this, you know, more esoteric stuff, and mixing it with Western and more modern religions. And then she starts this arcane school um, where they, they practice full moon meditation, like we talked about. And then they have the great invocation. And this is all pushing towards this goal. Now, again, I'm going to play this little clip and it is pretty long, but uh, I don't know if you heard this, Shannon. Did you listen to the uh, the little prayer clip?
2: Uh, I, I started to listen to some of the, the invocation, but I uh, didn't want to invoke anything. So I turned it off.
1: Yeah. And but so to be day- clear, we're not going to play the prayer. because like if anyone because i would get sketched out of that too like if i was a listener i'd be like i don't want to hear this prayer so we're not playing the prayer we're playing a description of what the prayer is but go ahead is right
2: yeah and what's interesting too is the the great invocation was translated into 50 languages and it's the new age mantra it has been used by the un at uh conferences and during the opening ceremonies in 1992 at the UN's Earth Summit in Rio. Mm. So I thought that was pretty weird. Yeah, so that was that was back in 92. They're already out using this stuff out in the open.
1: Yeah, man. When I start playing this, let me know. Um, oh, man, that's creepy. Where We won't play it there. It just happened where I was going to play it. It was going to be six minutes and 66 seconds long. That's freaky. So we'll skip <laughs> forward a little bit. Uh, but yeah, we got. Uh, so check this out and let me know um, what you think when we're done. And notice the terms that they use, um, the energy of the person that's speaking this. It sounds kind of like an AI bot, but they use this
2: real soothing tone, it seems. It sounds just like NLP, Neurologistic Programming.
1: Yeah, definitely, dude, it's freaking weird. So here we go, just give me a thumbs up if you can hear it. Millions of people
3: hope for a future world in which goodwill flourishes. And the well-being and right relations between people, nature, and the earth is paramount. We dream of a world that is whole, that integrates the vision of human rights and earth stewardship with the principles of sharing, so that together we can create a better world of peace and justice for all. Large numbers today find their meaning and purpose in helping create such a world. Through the determination, creativity and concern of so many groups and individuals, we are moving towards a more enlightened future. But something else is needed too in order to build the world we long for we need to draw on our higher capacities of will of love and of lighted intelligence people of good will and good heart can pull their spiritual resources and come together in focused prayer and attention to invoke the energies of the soul of humanity those divine potencies that lie in the higher reaches of our nature the great invocation is a world prayer that concentrates the natural call constantly arising from people of all cultures for light and love and the will to do that which is good and right its beauty and strength lies in its simple expression of a number of universal truths. The truth of the existence of a basic intelligence to whom we vaguely give the name of God. The truth that behind or outer seeming the motivating power of the universe is love. The truth that throughout history and in all faiths great individualities have come to earth and embodied that love so we could understand. And the truth that both love and intelligence are effects of the will of God. It is the will and plan of God for humanity to constantly evolve and develop in its ability to express love we are approaching a time when we can expect another great individual to come to lead us forward on this path hence the call in the great invocation may the coming one return to earth every year since 1952 large numbers of people have used the great invocation on world invocation day please include the great invocation as part of your regular prayers and meditations on this day knowing that as you do so you are linking with countless others from around the globe who are united in a concentrated act of invocation
1: i believe this is where the beginning of the prayer starts
3: the great invocation From the point of light, within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth.
1: Shannon, thoughts?
2: Man, that is some creepy stuff, right?
1: Because when they refer to light, too, they're talking about Lucifer. Lucifer, Lucifer, right. Enter into you. They're talking about that. That's what invocation is. But yeah, sorry. That's what's so crazy.
2: Yeah. And you think how many people that they think and they, they disguise it as it's so loving and it's so good and come join us, give us your will. And really, they're just using you for whatever they're using you for. I don't know. Giving your will over to the darkness, I guess. It's just creepy. It's like how many that just invocation, the word if people know what that means. That's just creepy in itself to me
1: well and they say they sit there and say this entity that we vaguely call god this thing that we vaguely call god as if like calling something god that is god right calling the creator of the world god um or the creator of humanity or creator of everything we vaguely call it god that's kind of like an insult i would say right it's like it's just this vague name It,
2: it doesn't really mean anything it seems like it's made to offend some people, you know, like they're trying to intentionally do that.
1: Well, yeah. And the line of the whole thing is um, may the coming one return. That's uh that's a pretty damning little statement right there, dude.
2: Well, you think about everything and then, you know, as conspiracy theorists, you look and look at all this different stuff and it's like, man, CERN and all this other stuff. It's like, man, maybe these guys are just, they're so it seemed like they're so prevalent in like the new age community throughout their teachings are spread in so much different stuff
1: all right we got the uh paranoid american that was waiting in the wings here just got him involved to talk about some of this lucius trust stuff it's a wild topic man we gotten into a lot of stuff um first of all dude really honored to have you on i'm really a fan of your work man uh plug your stuff right up front here because i want people to buy those coloring books and the comic books yeah yeah okay (laughs) yeah
0: likewise too man so you can find me at paranoidamerican.com is the main website and then all the newest stuff is on amazon coloring books comic books i'm branching out into some games that you'll find on steam uh, maybe by the end of the year next year and then right now i've got a comic book called the chosen one that's about conspiracy podcasters and it's just going around and they're, you're going to have cameos from all the usual, you know, crew that you're going to see in it. And it's essentially about a conspiracy podcaster that finds a big secret society. So that's
1: that's one of the cool new projects that I've been working on that I'll plug. Dude, yeah, I saw you sent that out and it's freaking awesome, man. It's a good idea. And and Shannon, if you haven't seen the stuff that he does, check out his site, man, because it talks like MK Ultra comic books. And like, you know, just hidden, hidden knowledge kind of stuff that like the stuff that we're into, but it's like a fun thing. And then you, did you ever get around to doing that chemtrail uh, kids book or was that like an it older is? Project? Yeah, that,
0: no, nope, that's actually on Amazon right now. It's Dope. called uh, it's called Connect the Dots is the series name. And the title of that book is The Confounding Conspiracy of Chemtrails. And the second one's in the works now, and it's the Secret Society Job Fair. And it go, it's like a children's book that teaches you about, like, the cult of Mithra, the Freemasons, the Scottish Rite, uh, Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. It gets into, like, five percenters. <laughs> I try to cover, like, every kind of cool secret society or unknown group out there, and
1: written as like a children's book. So, yeah, yeah. I, I love that series. It's near and dear to my heart. Yeah, it's badass. Uh, you said he kind of emulated it after uh, Magic School Bus, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So instead of them going like and plugging actual school bus, they've got like, a, if, if you've seen those old prepper shows, a lot of those dudes would bury school buses underground in their backyards as these like big labyrinths. So essentially in this school, they've got like this labyrinth of underground school buses that lead into like an astral projection layer, sort of oh, a la yeah. MK Ultra Project Monarch and shit.
1: That's awesome, man. Yeah, no, it's uh, you're an interesting dude, man. And so I, I thought that it was kind of cool to be able to talk with you about this Lucius Trust stuff um how did you hear about them if you don't mind me asking it's a it's an esoteric topic do not a lot of people know about them
0: yeah I mean honestly this one came up a a while ago when I was talking with my, my buddy Juan and he brought it up as oh dude there's this like Luciferian uh you know room inside of the United Nations building at 666 manhattan ave and like oh, and and at the surface i was like that sounds kind of like bullshit so mm. i started looking into it and i think the 666 address might have been bullshit i think at one point it might have been like 706 or something like that but the actual uh people that set it up and i think you already got into like the baileys and their whole backstory but it really was named originally after lucifer publishing company and they also established this lucis trust so, like just the fact that it really was indeed named after Lucifer, uh, it, it perked my ears up. So I, I kind of dug in deeper. And that was my first initial interest into this. And
1: that was earlier this year. Well, yeah, dude. And and it's it so from what I understand, it was actually on six 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 United Nations Boulevard, but they changed it now to eight six six. And that's similar to that phone number that you sent me, which is one eight six six. Uh, and then I forget, you know, where it goes on from that, but it's it's letters after that. Well, it,
0: it stands for New York Lucis, L-U-C-I-S, but the N-Y N Lusis. is a six. So it's 866N, six, six, which is 666 six, six in a row. And that's one of those things where I, I, I try to not look like super <laughs> deep into gematria and num- numerology and like linking Greek and English words together. But I also have this kind of rule of how many coincidences will I allow before I start getting you know conspiratorial and I start getting suspicious and and it was like the six 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 address and then even though I know eight six six is a very common yeah toll free pre number just the fact that it's like okay here's a number another number six 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 and if you look, they fully admit that the um Lucis was more or less based on the name Lucifer right there on the website and all of Bailey's work so you've got these multiple references the six 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 multiple references to Lucifer it's I'm like right at that cusp of like. There's enough, cons- you know, enough coincidences here to make me interested as a conspiracy theory. Yeah, I
1: yeah, did. And, and just the fact that they are so involved with the United Nations, which I mean, there's this on American Dad, there's this great scene. And I was telling Shannon about it like off, off air where it's an apocalypse episode and they're looking for the Antichrist and the Antichrist lives in the United Nations building in this cartoon <laughs> that's on TV for everyone to freaking see. You know what I mean? And it goes back to that one world government, the one world religion, the one world currency and all this stuff where it's all it's all about one. It's kind of like a new tower of Babel, so to speak. So you see that symbolism in there. And the fact that, like, you know, not even 100 years ago, this stuff is very, very esoteric and no one really cares about it. And now it is the most influential spiritual organization in the world. But most people still haven't heard about it, dude. It's mind blowing. Um, I would I would step in and
0: say that the Loose's trust and the Bailey's were probably not as well known back then. But the the stuff they were interested in and all of this like theosophy and and, you know, Blavatsky's research that was actually kind of in vogue for a lot of specifically like upper class people. Like if you had enough money (laughs) that you didn't have to worry about putting food on the table and like dealing with sickness, then you had the luxury of like philosophy and esoteric and Eastern and Western religions and stuff. Um, it, it, it was almost like a hallmark of being somewhat affluential in order to to even be interested in that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, dude. It, it's in just a, a trip to me to think about this. And yeah, Blavatsky's work was huge. Um, But, you know, like I said, I, I don't think a lot of like the middle class and lower class knew about this stuff. And they still don't today. Dude, you can go around. And you can talk to all kinds of people. They probably haven't heard of her. Um, you know, it's more of the educated people it seems, or people that are, you know, crazy and and into this stuff.
0: Well, like like anyone that's li- that's listened to any kind of like rock music from sixties and beyond, especially heavy metal, there's undoubtedly influence there that came from like Black Sabbath and there the Beatles and then the Beatles and Black Sabbath and a lot of ancillary bands get inspiration from Crowley and mention your Crowley and mention him in the works and there wouldn't be the same influence of Crowley without Blavatsky's work so there's this like thread that ties everything together even if you're completely ignorant to all of those like a coal origins of a lot of this stuff and the whole like uh like the shock everything shock comedy shock performances you know shock artwork you could almost trace a lot of that kind of back to this like Crowley um sort of like completely hedonistic lifestyle of like let me just do you know do what that will and, I, and like, he wasn't like the one that invented you know acting crazy and and being a spectacle yeah. uh, but he kind of made it mainstream and he was the one that like popularized it so other people would say oh man i can i can do what crowley's doing and get all this attention
1: mm. yeah man it's it's fucking it's a trip and so so blavatsky influences bailey and Crowley at the same time, right? Because Crowley was around same time Bailey was.
0: Yeah, and and Bailey, I think, is was sort of known as like an American version of uh, Blavatsky and just yeah. didn't get a whole lot of the credit but I mean they, they were all sort of regurgitating the same information and translations I think Blavatsky was influential just because she actually helped translate a whole bunch of source materials that hadn't yet been translated into like the western world yet and then everyone else that kind of came from there you could you could mention um Bailey is one of them you've got Albert Pike which also kind of like derives some of that you've got um levi that that sort of also translated these arcane works into uh modern languages that people know and then
2: he's the
0: one that created the one that that everyone kind of like refers to Yeah.
2: yeah manly p hall too he's tied in for a lot of people
0: yeah a lot of people like almost criticize manly p hall as just regurgitating what albert pike and blavatsky wrote and people criticize uh you know uh pike and blavatsky for regurgitating what other people wrote so it's just like this long line of vomiting downwards but yeah it's like a big orgy
2: it was like a big a big group orgy they were all just sharing their ideas and using each other's stuff
0: and and it's it's kind of funny too because they got a lot of criticism for doing that but modern day it's like if you look at those very first translations they're a chore to read through it's not easy it's like they're not even organized that well if there's chapters but there's there's no kind of structure the same way that you'd expect the book in 2022 to have some structure and like some you know page turning kind of like interest to it so every time someone like regurgitates it whether it's Blavatsky or Pike or Manly P. Hall or modern day guys every time it's just like written for a more modern audience so I'd uh, the the point i'm making is i don't look down at anyone regurgitating this stuff it's great yeah. to like keep updating it to get more people
1: interested well and what's what's kind of interesting too that we talked about just briefly was that blavatsky was the first russian woman to be made a u.s citizen you know what i mean i didn't so, know that i didn't know that at all that's, that's kind of crazy there's some weird coincidences with the whole theosophical society because the guy the the first uh the first president of the whole society, which his name is slipping my mind right now. I've got it in my notes here. Colonel Henry S. Olcott was um, was also appointed to the uh, investigation team of uh, Abraham Lincoln's death. So, (laughs) you know, you've got these people that are at the highest levels of society in one way or another, because you don't just get to be the first Russian woman that's made a U.S. citizen. Right. Unless there's some reason there. And same with the first president being, you know, appointed to something that was very, very important to the American people at that time. Right. Um, Still kind of is one of the one of the great conspiracy theories out there is who killed Abraham Lincoln, who killed JFK. Why was it done in which way? Obviously. Right. Um, But yeah, dude, you said that you had some interesting things on um, uh, Bailey's childhood, some some more like kind of hidden information. We just glossed over it. I figured since you had the information, if you wanted to share it, dude, like what what else? Yeah, I mean, so
0: so my mind almost always goes to the classic, like, follow the money. So my first thought is, okay, like, aside from the the Baileys and everything, A, I'm going to make some assumptions that they grew up wealthy, both her and her husband, Foster Bailey, to even kind of have these interests, just because it's very, very rare for someone to just be in abject poverty their entire lives and also be interested in theosophy. Um, and then the the second thing that I, I kind of looked into was um, how much money did it take to like set this thing up in the UN in a reading room and then like a, a modern day institution that still outlives them. That's a large pool of money that keeps that kind of thing going yeah. or it's a lot of buy in from third parties. Um, so so it was interesting because if if you go right to the Wikipedia page. Which is like usually everyone's entry, the the article for Alice Bailey, it doesn't really give a, a great background. It makes it almost sound like she grew up poor and she kind of grew up as like this fundamentalist. But the the truth is that she grew up in like very upper class uh Victorian English society. She was kind of like her one skill was, I think, uh making like lace work or something. Like that kind of shows you the level of work that like her and her like uh siblings were kind of at. And they were, you know, they were way beyond any sort of like working class. Um, But they were, but I think her parents both died when she was really young and she got handed off to fundamentalist uh, family members. And this was kind of like a huge uh, change for her, especially this fundamentalist aspect, because it kind of turned her into this missionary of just like preaching the word and trying to convert people into Christianity, essentially. Uh, But again, she's like still very rich and she gets uh, sent to India um, and with a bunch of british soldiers and i think her experiencing and meeting british soldiers that actually you know were lived in abject poverty it kind of like opened her mind like oh there's a whole other world outside of this victorian upper class that i was brought up in um and then through this she ended up having like a husband she followed the husband to the united states she probably covered some of this he he was abusive to her so he started beating on her the episcopalian
1: um, preacher right
0: episcopalian preacher and it was this weird dynamic because she still loved him enough and realized that because he was an Episcopalian preacher, if she came out and said that, you know, he was beating her or if she divorced him, it would ruin his career as an Episcopalian preacher. Mm -hmm. So she kind of like stuck with him to avoid um, like ruining his entire life. But he, at one point he threw her down the stairs and I was, I was listening to um, a podcast by the loses trust people like the, the current founders. And they mentioned that when she was growing up younger, even though she was, you know, um, super high class, rich class, and everything, she had no real worries. She had committed, su- or she had attempted a suicide like three different times. And one of those suicide attempts, there was—it was kind of one of them was funny. I don't mean to say funny in a suicide attempt, but one of hey, them was. Fine. She threw herself down the stairs. Another time, she tried to drown herself. And then the third one was she tried to bury herself in sand. Ooh, so that's a bad way to go. It is a bad way to go, but I, I. I don't know. I feel like it would be very hard. Like, I don't know. Once both of your arms are under, how do you get the sand on top of your face? So like, what, what Give order do you do in it there. in? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, so, so she gets thrown down the stairs by this abusive husband. And that was like the final straw. And at this point though, she had followed this American to America. Um, and now she's, you know, she's completely in a foreign land because all of her family's back in England, living it up. Um, and they're fundamentalist, and now she's kind of like this new agey lady living in, in Southern California, and her one skill is lace work, and she's looking around at these like, you know, um 49ers and, and they're you know next generation, and no one's looking for lacework, they're looking for, you know, uh, railroad workers and and all sorts of other, you know, like manual labor stuff. So she ends up, I think, working at like a sardine factory, and she actually becomes like the best sardine packer in the entire plant. Um, and she kind of <laughs> uses this as a reference of like motivation of she came from like the highest highs and fell all the way down to the lowest lows in a completely lost land uh, surrounded by strangers. And while she was at that lowest low, she realized that like all of the quote unquote like poor people and the lower class that she was around now in California, they were actually helping her and being nice to her and they like they lifted her up and they elevated her and she was able to survive and thrive just because of this community of, you know, bumpkins essentially around her. And she realized like, man, I I lived my entire life in high society and no one gave a shit, you know, when I was in a bad mood or if I needed help, like that was it because everyone just assumes like, oh, well we've got everything. So you don't need anything from me. But when she got down to that different type of society, it just like blew her mind open. And I think at this point she started learning a little bit more about theosophy and different cultures and religions uh, in addition to her time in India she's getting this from immigrants that are in california for all different parts of the world so this was like this one little spark in this crux of it Um, but i thought it was really interesting like the suicide attempt the being triggered by you know her husband beating her and pushing her down the stairs which was the same way she tried to commit suicide and then abandoning him over that and kind of like rebirthing into this american culture
1: when when you're talking about these three times that she tried to commit suicide, were those all while she was married to this guy or just throughout her life? No, th- this was w-
0: when she was a younger kid before she even moved yeah. out of England.
1: OK, because, yeah, this was when she was visited by this Kutumi or Kathumi, depending on how you pronounce it um, with when, you know, this is the guy that says to her, hey, you know, you can't do this to yourself because you have an important mission here on this earth. And it's to create this one world religion, essentially. And so she goes on, joins the Theosophical Society, but then splinters away because she has these little disagreements because of this second prophet type figure that comes to her known as the Tibetan. And, you know, who's a real
0: guy, apparently he's, he's supposed to be a real dude in Tibet. He's not an ascended master. He's not like a ghost or some interdimensional being. He's an actual guy in Tibet that just happens to develop this telekinetic bond with her. And they can just like speak or he basically dictates to her.
1: So did you see that? Because that's one thing that I was just talking about with Shannon earlier is that I couldn't see if he was a real dude or not because there's no picture of him, um, even on Wikipedia, where there's always at least. Oh, I mean, there. I don't know if
0: there's actually proof that it was actually a real guy, but I mean, according according to Alice Bailey, to who them, said that okay. she that that it wasn't because because the the general um, concept of her flavor of theosophy was that a there are ascended masters or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call them, the these hierarchy people that have like. hierarchy They've, they've elevated beyond human consciousness um but b they're still here they look over us and they kind of like get a little bit of say or at least get to watch um how things are unfolding and then that three um sort of like the elements of karma and reincarnation are what gets normal people into that same state yeah so that's kind of like her little flavor of it i believe and 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 saying that The reason I'm I'm even mentioning that is because she did not put that Tibetan dude as an ascended master. He was just some other dude on planet Earth alive at the same time as her. And they were talking with each other, you know, like they were they were on a Zoom call, essentially. But yeah, I don't think
1: there's any a whole lot more detail about like who that specific dude was. And that's what's very interesting to me is they make him seem like a real person. But, you know, they just happen to cross paths while she's walking around in the Hollywood base. Basically of um, yeah. <laughs> of theosophy, right? Which they relocated to a separate city in in California later. But it's
0: interesting that though that how closely Hollywood and these sort of like secret, you know, yeah. cool esoteric societies seem to just go hand in hand. Yeah, it was called How...
2: how- how close to it's almost like kundalini too if you look in kundalini it's like with the chakras and everything it's like mimicking that almost the same thing they just change the language and she uses planets and a lot of stuff
0: you can almost apply it to like the geography of that whole um right. california
1: region right
2: yeah it's very weird
1: well what what I another thing one of the many things i thought was really interesting was you know this gnostic idea or this doctrine basically which you know the To your point of her kind of separate idea of what uh, theology means, transforming God right into something which I think emulates Satan a little bit more to the way that at least Christians would look at it, um, while bringing kind of Christ, Jesus Christ down in that hierarchy of like these. Yeah, he ascended and, and his consciousness was higher than most, but he's lower on that hierarchy and this hierarchy was meant to become externalized. And then um, this is when the new world order would be ushered in this one world religion, when the atheists and the spiritual and the religious people all have to abandon their ideas, because this one figure comes down, this would move us out of the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius or the age of Maitreya, which, you know, Shannon and I were going to talk about a little bit. And this, this is the guy that, you know, supposedly the future Buddha, the fifth and final buddha of our times that that was an interesting thing it seems like they're very very fascinated with eastern religion and the old world stuff hinduism buddhism all that Well, shit, they, their right? whole thing was was combining
0: western religion yeah. and eastern religion into one world religion i mean it was literally that was that was the plan it was very uh blatant it wasn't like a secret plan that was like the the number one stated goal of their version of theosophy was to blend all world religions into one religion almost like this this grand unification theory of you know like like uh the string theory but the religious version of that
1: yeah did you have anything else on matreya shannon that you wanted to touch on or or did you want to move on
2: it's just weird how uh, they all the theosophists in the un they all talk about that the lord Maitreya and how he, he's supposed to be coming but i believe that if you read now they think he's already here supposedly somewhere waiting i don't know where on but...
1: musk dude it's elon musk <laughs> is that is that the Madre <laughs> creepy i don't know dude who knows <laughs> creepy, man. <laughs> man. freaking may <laughs> musk knows? is such a weirdo well you know the, the the name alone too is real interesting and then i want to get into these 10 uh the 10 point plan that they got and and uh you know jump in with anything that you got to uh either one of you guys honestly because the the lucius name l-u-c-i-s um that means light lucy means light right and you can either have like lux or Luce or lucy and it's light in italian or latin also romanian and roman and it can mean shine shimmer sparkle or glisten and uh that brought me to find this roman goddess of light that's called lucina and her full name is juno lucina And she's not only got the goddess of light, but also of the moon, too, and of birth. So she's kind of considered like the champion of women, the queen of heaven. And that brings you into that whole idea of God being a woman, which is supposedly blasphemous, according to Christians. I don't know, dude. I see such an attack on mainstream Christianity that that's kind of what draws me to it. I say it on on my show all the time. I'm agnostic but I lean towards Christianity because of the modern day persecution of it, dude. I don't know where you sit on the <laughs> religious spectrum. I, I'm, I started very agnostic and then
0: turned into like um, I, I kind of, I feel like I understand Christ Christ consciousness more than talking snakes and, you know, like flying ghosts and stuff and, and, you know, big floods um, but I, but I, I absolutely have come around to the concept that there's people that probably have a much higher consciousness than other people
1: for sure. So you do, you, and, and I don't mean to pry and you can just tell me to go fuck myself if you don't want to talk about anything. Do you, do you see any religion making more sense to you or any kind of like group or anything like that making more sense? Uh not really there, there's a couple just
0: like little quotes here and there that have always kind of like fucked with my head forever and ever and the the one biggest one that that kind of changed me from agnostic to you know maybe some like other third category that I haven't found yet, but it was in the I think the Upanishads and this dude's having a conversation with Shiva um and at, at one point he's he's very logical right like everything's math and science and logic. And he's presented with this logical uh, paradox of, you know, if, if everything's logical and everything has to make sense, then why is there something rather than nothing? Because just an absolute state of nothing would make a lot more logical sense than something happening, like, you know, life and just matter and time and, and energy. Like, why does it hmm. even exist versus nothing at all? Because it's almost like if if pure chaos were to just allow itself to, uh, find its logical conclusion like the extreme conclusion then it just dissipates into nothing and there's just a big vacuum of vast nothingness right but that's not what we have so just that alone is enough to be like there's there's something out there and you know it's not just all nothing like and that might have just been like a, a steering away from nihilism more so than yeah, agnosticism yeah. but I, th- I think that was kind of like a crucial moment of like there's more to it than just i can't know because Um, I mean, I don't think I'll ever know. So maybe that's the agnostic part.
1: Yeah, that's why I feel. I mean, I I feel like what you were kind of describing seemed to be like not with the uh, what was the the text that you're referring
0: to? I think it was the Upanishads or it was the Bhagavad Gita. It was one of those two books.
1: Okay, so, yeah, it seemed like that would like the the description would be more atheist in the way that like, you know, like not not the agnostic part to me, but maybe I'm misunderstanding you. Um, May, well, I guess maybe it was more of a transition
0: from atheism to God, agnosticism yeah, yeah, yeah. to maybe, I don't know if I would say gnosticism, but because um, cause agnosticism is that uh, like Christ consciousness or God or religion is this thing that is, it would be like a human trying to explain himself to an ant. That's the best uh analogy i've heard for agnosticism is like even if god's out there it's just like an ant an ant can look up at you but if you try to explain yourself like i'm a human dude and you're an ant and like here's the rules of physics and stuff it just wouldn't work because the ant is almost agnostic of humans so maybe there's some kind of level of like we would be agnostic to something bigger than us like if we were the ant and that was the
1: the big thing that's fascinating and i've heard uh, allusions or uh you know kind of some some idea of that i think on joe rogan's show actually where he's like if you when you wave your hand over a bug the bug doesn't even really notice that you're there you know maybe it will get scared and and move because there's a shadow or some wind going over it but the bug doesn't really like an ant like you said it doesn't pay attention it doesn't care if you're going to swipe at it or kill it it just is doing its own thing until you do step on it and then it's just dead so yeah it's a it's a weird it's freaking weird what we live in man. I think about it a lot but I try not to dude because it well
0: I love that analogy the most too because enough ants could kill a god, you know, or they could kill a human essentially. So I always wonder sure. could enough humans kill a god <laughs> in the same way?
1: That's some crazy ass fucking thought too dude. Like yeah, I don't know man. It, like I said, it can drive you crazy and and that is why I do kind of respect the work that goes on with not only these guys, but, you know, the Freemasons, the Templars, all these different groups throughout time that widely do get a bad reputation. But and maybe rightfully so. I don't really know for sure. But, you know, there's definitely, I think, two sides to that. I wanted to move into this um this little 10 part thing here. And uh, like I said, um, either one of you just jump in with anything that you got, anything that you want to talk about here, because this 10 pointer is wild and i'll share my screen so you guys can at least see what we're reading here shannon actually sent me this and this is some good shit where did you find this by the way shannon just stumbling upon uh, it
2: yeah i you know me i start going down so many rabbit holes and grabbing pdfs and different stuff and it's like all of a sudden you just hit something it's like man this is weird i'll mark this and I come back later
1: well, yeah, and so this is where Robert Mueller will come in, Doctor Robert Mueller. I'm sure he would not like to just be called because uh, that's why they go to school like that long, right? They don't want to be called uh, Mister. But this guy, um, <laughs> along with some other folks, uh, came up with this ten point plan. It seems <laughs> of the uh, new world order, and it's it's freaking interesting, man. Based off of the Lucius Society and what they get into. Um, this this first one's already triggering the hell out of
0: me. Why? Uh, because this this rings so true to some of the other research that I've been doing completely different tangent but recently I got into um, understanding more about the trivium and quadrivium you guys familiar with the the seven liberal arts Uh, so no so so these were skills that were pretty much part of every classical education up until you could argue when they started taking prayer out of schools in the U.S. this was still kind of the standard and if you look at a lot of um, Christian homeschooling materials, they still very much follow the classic trivium-quadrivium uh, education process, which has been completely abandoned in the same way that public education has gotten rid of uh, prayer in schools. And it's weird to me because I don't, I don't personally believe there's a correlation between Christianity and religion and the, the trivium-quadrivium. It just happens to be that they were always so closely linked for such a long time through Jesuit education and through just like classic Roman education, that it was hard to separate the two, but you know, the UN ended up doing it, but the trivium is essentially, it starts with understanding language. So it, I can't remember the exact order, but it's like, first you understand grammar, then you understand logic, and then you understand rhetoric. And essentially grammar is understanding the input, like what do words mean? What does the order of the words mean? If you can't break down the grammar of a statement, then you you can't even process it. The second one is logic is where you're like, okay, does that statement make sense? Are there any obvious contradictions? Are there any obvious assumptions being made? That would be the logic step. And then rhetoric is like, okay, who's saying this? And how are they saying it? And in what context are they saying it? Because maybe there's like an alternate agenda for why they're saying certain things in certain ways. So that's kind of like that classic trivium. And that lets you, it's like, that's your instant bullshit meter. You know, it's like gives everyone a bullshit detector in their head for anything they come across, written, spoken, anything. Um, So just removing that from the education system means that everyone doesn't have that bullshit detector that people have had for thousands of years up until, you know, recent modern history.
1: So that's the trivium. It's grammar, language, and then basically grammar,
0: logic, and rhetoric. And no, I wouldn't say rhetoric is pop propaganda in some ways, but it's, it's the same way that uh, like, you know how to effectively communicate and you know not to just kind of ramble on and, and you know how to like bring things to a point. A really good example I've heard recently on like these language experts, they were doing like Johnny Depp trial and stuff, but there was yeah. a great example where if you have a list of three things where I'm trying to tell you to come to a party and I'm like, oh man, you know, um, yeah, Jay-Z was there. And the food was really good. And the parking was really easy. It sounds weird because you usually build up to the biggest thing. You'd be like, oh, man, the parking was easy. The food was great. And freaking <laughs> Jay-Z was there. You know what I mean? Like, but just that that subtle nuance of the order of things that I, I mentioned those in, that's part of rhetoric. And if you don't understand rhetoric, you kind of sound like a weirdo out of context and your communication is not as effective. Some people are so freaking great at rhetoric that they can convince you of bullshit just because they're so good at placing words together and like building up the tempo and stuff. And then there's other people that suck so bad at rhetoric that even though they're
1: correct, they'll just never get a, a word in edgewise. Yeah. And, and then it like the point that they're trying to make falls on deaf ears for sure. So to be clear, I mean, and, and obviously we alluded to it here, the first point, and I think the number one goal of the UN to make this one world religion, this new world order is to take God in prayer out of the education system now do you feel to be clear that um and both of you i'd like to get both your opinions on this do you think that god and prayer should be involved in the education system let's just say here in the united states because it was obviously christianity that was heavily promoted in the united states schooling system
2: go ahead Shannon. i just think it, i just think you should be able to do what you want that's that's what i think wherever you want you to practice be- practice
1: should it be part of the curriculum, though? Because I think that's kind of what it was, right? According to what uh, Paranoid was saying here.
2: I guess as far as moral wise, I mean, it, that could be OK in certain aspects. You know, they just have the good morals rather than no morals. OK, that's yeah, that's what I would say.
0: Know. I, I kind of think that if they were to cover it, it would be in like more of a historical aspect, not a a moral aspect. Um, and, and just to be clear, too, I don't. I don't think that the trivium and quadrivium and Christianity are even linked together other than just the fact that they had always kind of lived side by side for so long that it was hard to get one without the other but but the side effect here of taking God and prayer out of schools it also removed the trivium and quadrivium from schools and that same it would have been great if they could have just taken like maybe the religious fundamentalist teaching and left the trivium quadrivium curriculum in there but that's not what happened it like the whole freaking thing changed. The whole pattern, everything. Because also back when when God and prayer were at the heart of the education system, it was community-based schools, and you know, like the community would get together and send all their kids of, of all different ages to the one schoolhouse, and they would all kind of like learn the same things together. It wasn't even split up in the first grade, second grade, all the way up. Interesting. Um, so it was it was just a completely different approach to education as a whole. So like this is such an overloaded statement because by taking God and prayer out of the education system, you're really saying completely redesign how communities come together and teach their children and replace gotcha. it with this, this, uh, standardized public nationalized version of it, which is way bigger than what that statement makes it sound like. Right. I mean, like yeah. Almost
2: like a, like a common core, right. That we had to go. Exactly,
0: with. bro. Yeah. Im- imagine if like like this is one of those uh, those um, like the bills they pass where it's like the simplest little thing. It's like, oh, this is the bill to take God and prayer out of the education system, and then you get into the details, and it's like, and implement Common Core, and implement this, and implement this. <laughs> that's kind of what this thing is right here. This this first bullet point.
1: Okay, okay. Well, so she goes on. Alice Bailey goes on to say, uh, and why this is such an important thing. She says, change curriculum to ensure that children are freed from the bondage of Christian culture. So that's why I brought up the Christian part. Now, why would you do this? Because children go to school to be equipped to face life. They're willing to trust and they are willing to value what is being given to them. If you take God of education, they will unconsciously form a resolve that God is not necessary to face life. They will focus on those things. The school count, uh, counts them worthy to be passed on, and they will look at God as an additional if and, one, well, careful. hold on. He
0: You said as an additional, but it's it's kind of fucked up because she says if one can afford the additional and my mind goes right back to like, here's this rich British, you know, aristocracy lady yeah. being like, oh, I don't think those poor people can afford to understand God right now. Like they need to make sure they can understand the basics first. Not like me, like I'm, I'm elevated, but I can handle God.
1: They can't really handle it. I, something about that is just so rich to me. Well, yeah, it's a it's a snobby ass statement, and what's interesting here is that it notes that today they introduced uh, trans transcendental meditation into kids, which brings them into alternate uh, states of consciousness. And this is a new age ideology, right? Instead of prayer, it's transcendental meditation. So well, I
0: know for a fact when I was in middle school or high school, we did like a stream of consciousness writing, which you could almost say is like right there next to like auto writing, where you summon you know, you summon a demon and you just your hands moving and you just write whatever yeah. words and letters come out. I mean, that was just a regular
1: transcendental writing process in my high school. And that was in the late nineties. I mean, dude, I was in school in the nineties too, man. It's we're probably about the same age and yeah, there was uh, free writing and all that kind of stuff, which it does seem very low key kind of introducing you to that idea there. Now, if that first one triggers you, I wonder how this one <laughs> leaves you both feeling reduced parental authority over the children. Now, I know Shannon's got a kid. Um, I don't know if you do. Um, No, I don't. I I do not. But um, she says, break the communication between parent and child so that parents do not pass on their Christian traditions to their children. Liberate children from the bondage of their parental traditions. That is wild. The school
0: knows better than mommy and daddy, which is something that's like
1: pervasive right now in, in education. Yeah, dude. And I mean, let's say yeah, Christianity is what is targeted here. In my opinion, there's not many Hindus that are in this country, especially back then when this stuff was being written. To be clear, this was written back in uh, 2017, 2018 in the uh, academic year there. Um, but yeah, you have just time back to Christianity. And I hate to sound preacher or anything, because, again, I don't know what the <laughs> hell is going on. But it notes here in the packet that Jesus said in the last days, wickedness will increase. So there's going to be like rebellion. The children will not obey their parents and so on. I think you see that going on here. Um, Thoughts on that. Do you think that that uh, they've succeeded so far in separating the uh, parental uh, to children connection here? Shannon.
2: I would say it depends on, well, you, you look at what they did to the family in general, you know, they got rid of the dad in a lot of places. So, I mean, they're succeeding, but a lot of it has to do with us as individuals because we have the power. If we don't let them, take that bond between our child and they can't do it i have a great bond with my daughters they're now, i know they trust me more than they trust some government entity i hope that that's the norm it's not and though there, and there's a
0: well and number one and number two relate to each other because shannon brought up common core recently and another uh dynamic of common core is that you're separating you're you're removing the authority from parents right so like me and you the way that we learn math if you try to teach your kid that today, you'd be talking two different languages and they'd be, they'd be failing their classes. Even if they get the right answer using the techniques that we know, they'd have to use the common core technique to arrive at the answer in their own way. And and while there's some kind of, you know, justification for trying to get like a standardized way of teaching everybody, this also very directly destroys your authority. Cause like, even like, you know, your kid goes up to you, your, your um, theoretical kid, Ryan comes up to you and he's like help me do this math homework. And then you don't have the right answer. You have no authority. So now it's like, the oh, the teacher has all the right yeah. answers. Mom and dad, they they can't help me. They don't have the right answers. Everything they tell me is wrong. And the Common Core helps institute that. But then so many other aspects of, you know, public education. I mean, there's there's plenty of examples where, you know, parents or teachers like illegally, but they'll record and they'll get the teachers in the classroom saying like, oh your parents don't know anything listen to me and you know do these things and hide these other things from them at at home so if like if like Shannon said if you don't have a really close bond with your kids already the the teachers are ready to just snatch them out uh you know away from you and teach them like they were their own kids
1: almost dude that's a good point because even like my dad who I respect the hell out of and I did as a kid even though I was kind of like a rebellious kid um when he didn't, he he admitted to me very early on, he didn't know anything about math. So I needed to pay attention to math in high school, especially because he didn't know it. And I thought that it was dumb of him. You know what I mean? And I love my dad. I always have, man. I, I have a great relationship with him. And I was like, how the fuck don't you know math? You're, you know, you're this old. And, you're, <laughs> you know, I thought that my dad knew everything. And then once I start realizing he's just a man, you know what I mean? He doesn't know all this stuff. I subconsciously might've lost a little bit of respect for him because of something so dumb is that, you know, yeah. You don't imagine how frustrated
0: you'd be that if you really did know math and you knew all the answers, but you just didn't know this like special new magical way of like showing your work. It's, it would be like, I can help you, but I'm not allowed to help you because the state has these standards that say that my information I'm trying to bestow onto my offspring is not the state, you know, regulated version of it. So that it gets into this really fucking weird Oh um, like like and, it, and it's in or, a lot of
2: states too. I don't know how I, was it like forty-seven or forty-five states or something? It's common course still I, th- I think
0: it, it it uh rose in popularity and then fell a little bit. So some states are kind of like they can decide if they opt in or out, but yeah, it, we don't shit here. It's the closest thing to an to a national standard that uh the states
1: have right now, though. Yeah, dude. Okay, so number three, we went through one and two there. I'd say that they're doing a pretty damn good job of of getting those first two done. Number three is destroy the Judeo-Christian family structure or the traditional Christian family structure. Now, um, seems like that's kind of a a, a repeat of that, but it's definitely a different thing. And what Alice Bailey says here is it's oppressive and that the family is the core of the nation. (laughs) If you break the family, you break the nation liberate the people from the confines of this structure and why they want to break the family and all this even though they know that it's the key of the nation and like basically the foundation like they say is because they don't want nations they want one world government and specifically with theosophy one world religion all tying back to the, like what i think is kind of portrayed as the antichrist here shannon thoughts
2: i'm with you man it's stuff is just it's the same kind of stuff I would change this document. If you look, it came from some law. I believe it was like a Christian college. I would say we could change that to new would mean the nuclear family, which is what they're doing. You know, it goes back to the welfare, kicking dads out of the house, everything else. So women always win in court.
0: There's another those type of ideas. There's another argument too, that I've, I tend to give more credit to than a lot of other people, but that the integration of, of women into the workforce had a liberating effect but it also had um you know fathers and mothers competing against each other absolutely uh in the workforce driving wages down um and then also establishing this new dynamic of now your kids are going to be babysat by the state whether it's it's the public education or whether it's just going to be some you know your maid or, or whatever else it's going to be in, in this version of it it's essential if you take this to its logical conclusion it's the village right you have a kid you give them up to the village and now like you don't have any ties to them you just everyone's raising everybody which is crazy to me but that's kind of like this end goal of the new world
1: order well this is very rules for radicals esque, right it's Solinsky <laughs> right here to a t i mean it takes yeah, a village yeah, yeah. to raise a child like you said
2: yeah it's like police state man one-on-one
1: oh yeah well and the police state i think is coming man unfortunately with with the the more division with the right and the left and the the polarization they want a police state because I, what happens when the right and the left cannot get along in public like grown-ass adults martial law is ushered in because people are fighting all the time it's a it's a step in that direction so yeah dude well said both you guys um number four here if sex is free then make abortion legal and make it easy <laughs> oh, i know this one's gonna here's some spicy yeah this one's a very current one now alice bailey says build clinics for abortion health clinics in schools if people are going to enjoy the joy of sexual relationships they need to be free of unnecessary fears in other words they should not be hampered with unwanted pregnancies shannon thoughts
2: i don't know man (laughs) i'll be honest this one man i I I have no idea. Gotcha. Okay, I'll be I'll be honest. Okay,
0: fair enough. I've I've got a hot take on this one. Which, Ooh, let's hear it. Yeah. <laughs> so, man, this is going to sound like the worst uh, pre qualifier ever. But but the pre qualifier here is that <laughs> eugenics is an absolutely horrendous and class based system of eradicating entire peoples and cultures for the most nefarious reasons dressed up as some kind of like an advancement or you know alleviating burdens on society and families and it's all bullshit and i think the entire eugenics movement is probably one of the most evil like if you wanted to say like what's satanic the eugenics movement to me is probably the most version of a satanic movement that there could be that qualifier out of the way my hot take is that I I fully believe in choice and and having even state funded free abortions, but I almost feel like there should be like a Subway's rewards card version of it. That like once you make that third punch, like you're getting sterilized. Like if if you've had wow. to rely on the state to give you an abortion three times, because because a I don't think that you sh- it should be reliant on if you can afford it or not. That's a little bit fucked, especially if there's a legitimate reason that you might want it or need it and and my other caveat here is that um it absolutely is is murdering a living human being after the point of conception and that's not from uh like a puritanical christian standpoint because again i endorse it i endorse that you should be able to go and have the state for free kill that little human inside of you and you don't even have to go and sit down with someone and like do the whole embarrassing like yeah i want to kill a baby and like do all that shit like you go in you get your your card punched and on the third one before they let you out they're like <laughs> before you get out that door we're gonna have to to tie those tubes or you know uh snip you know snip your husband or, or whatever like once you've been involved with you know that
1: many state funded three's ones. generous dude i would say three is very generous I would I'm, say tr- I'm trying to
0: be generous i'm trying to, Well. I I feel like one, you could legitimately end someone's entire lineage for a fluke or a bad decision or, you know, indiscretions of youth three uh, represents like you're legitimately either don't care about yourself or people around you or th- th- here's where the hot take comes in right <laughs> you're sticking um, with those I... <laughs> baseball
1: rules dude three strikes <laughs> yeah. and you're
0: out i mean yeah I, f- I feel like it's it's somewhat appropriate because it's it's more than a pattern like like i said a lot of the things to me like i've got this threshold of coincidence and it's sure. like is it just coincidental that you've needed three state-funded abortions over the course of x years or is this establishing a pattern in and in a bigger issue that needs to be addressed at a different level
1: Okay. Hey, maybe it's something that we can think about later. You brought something up that we touched on earlier. These are the seven goals of the new world order, so to speak, that tie right into that. Number two here is eugenics that you reference. Um, merge God with nature, eugenics, eradicate male-female distinction, world peace and nuclear disarmament, one world economic financial system, government, religion. Those are those are the seven things that they're going for, man. So, you know, these things are seeming. Let me ask, which one of manifest. these do you
0: think were the farthest from manifesting? Some of them feels like they're already here. Which one? I would ones? make an argument. Well, I don't, I'm asking you, which ones do you think are are the farthest away that like we haven't got to yet?
1: Of these seven? Of these seven, yeah. Um, one world government seems to be the farthest off because I think a financial system is coming up pretty quick. We already have a one-world economy, essentially. You could
0: say bi- you could almost say Bitcoin too is, could be this one-world currency. I don't think it'll be Bitcoin. I think that it, no, will... it won't be Bitcoin, but it
1: represents a sure. this universal currency that everyone trades in now. Absolutely. I think on a, on a global scale, male-female um, indistinction, I think is pretty far off too. I think androgyny as a whole is a ways away, at least two generations, I hope, I hope. Um, definitely within one, one to two generations, I would say that will be more mainstream. Um, world peace is far off, but as far as merging God and nature, that's, that's a ways off. Eugenics is a ways off the one that I think they're closest to will reverse engineer your little, uh, your question there. Cause I think that that's easier for me to do the, um, hmm, it's not even that easy. I would say the financial system would be, and the economic is the closest, The farthest would probably be um, either the androgyny or the one world government, man. I think that those are a ways away. What are your thoughts on that? Or Shannon go. Okay, Shannon, what are your thoughts? Farthest away and closest?
2: Man, I would say we're, we're probably almost there. That or there already really is there underneath, and we don't even know. That's what I would say. I don't think we're that far off at all. I think maybe we're about 10, 12 years, maybe max okay i agree with
0: you on the financial i think i think i think the money system would be the the easiest quickest one to just fall into a universal because already like if if you just take like cryptocurrency as a whole or or the certain point of singularity and the next step is almost going to be like the machines we control are just like spending money amongst themselves, right? It's almost what we do now. If I go and buy something on PayPal and I use a credit card, like no money has ever exchanged hands. You know, this is a basic concept. Yeah, It's just move numbers around in a bunch of different systems. So the the next logical conclusion of that is that humans don't even have to move that fake money around. We just have like an app that just automatically pays your bills for you or automatically, you know, pays your Netflix subscriptions and stuff. At a certain point- well, we're gonna be so removed from that that it's almost like you don't even have to opt in for that. It's just the fact that you have this app on your phone, it will just automatically like pay for itself using like Ether or Bitcoin or, or something. Yeah. But like we're already right there. The the farthest one um is hard. I almost feel like we're almost equal on, on a lot of them. Cause the the eradication of like the the male female, that kind of gets into like a very uh, metaphorical interpretive sense. Cause it's not like you're literally gonna you know combine two different sexes into Castrate one new thing yeah, yeah i mean i guess that's a possibility but i think it's more of about bringing down the lines of distinction but uh to what ends and i think that's where it gets into the you know like what what is the actual line is there a litmus test that's that you can that you can make
1: just the fact that the line is getting blurred i would say is a success on their part a a, lo- a loss for us um but yeah man no it's an interesting question you bring up there Uh, Moving back onto this list, though, number five, make divorce easy and legal, free people from the concept of marriage for life. Um, She obviously went through a divorce that was pretty rough and she went through a relationship that was that was no good. Um, Yeah, I I, I think that that definitely, especially if there are kids involved, it's pretty rough. Right. When when kids have to go through a divorce, I'm fortunate I never had to go through one um or see my parents go through you can one, make whatever. a
0: counterpoint too though that it would be just as rough for a kid to be forced to live with two people that hate each other absolutely you know definitely it's, it's, it's a rough one like some people are just not made to be good parents and whether they're together and bad parents or separated and bad parents it's almost like the same end result
2: well and it's mind-blowing right, to me yeah, that- yeah it's just humans right it's just It's humans. It's all about real love, not this garbage that these guys are talking about, but real love. If you got that bond, it doesn't matter. You'll be good to go.
1: Well, it's mind blowing to me that you need to get a license to drive a car, but you don't need a license to have a kid. You know what I mean? And (laughs) maybe that's a little authoritarian, but there are there are lives affected by having horrible parents and who knows how many like what you have to get a license
0: is. to go fishing in most states yeah well that's <laughs> the, bullshit you know, let alone a fucking car i mean just to go
1: in and fish out of a pond and bring it home i mean you legitimately have to get a license for that yeah and you know i've i've gone fishing without them but you know it, <laughs> it is i think everyone has right but it's just it, it is it's interesting and like i said it sounds authoritarian on the surface but there is a ripple effect there when a, a kid is treated poorly by two horrible parents <clears throat> Is that kid going to go the opposite way of the parents or is that kid going to perpetuate that that, you know, abuse and affect, you know, potentially millions of other lives? Who knows? Um, six here is make homosexuality an alternative lifestyle that seems to be synonymous with this with this whole thing, too, with the theosophy and and how they operate. Um, I guess she preached that sexual enjoyment is the highest pleasure in humanity and no one must be denied. And uh, that no one must be denied and no one must uh, be restricted on how to enjoy themselves. Um, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that, but um, I don't have a problem with homosexuality personally, but I do see it as like there's a legitimate slippery slope argument to be made there. I think that pedophilia will be ushered in at some point. And we started with widely accepting homosexuality, which, again, I grew up in the time well, that shit was fine. You know what I mean? I have zero problems with homosexuality. My dad's generation is a little bit iffy. And then our grandparents' generation was like, that is weird. You know what I mean? So now what are our, our grandchildren, two generations from now or, or three even, how are they going to feel about pedophilia? I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that the sexuality opening up more and more is going to open the gates to some things that might not be acceptable today
0: i'm just i'm curious is this for sure like the first part here before it says the note but where it actually says homosexuality incest bestiality is this from alice bailey herself or is this an
1: interpreted version of what she said so it abandons the thing if you go to these first ones up here it says she said right it's oppressive and they take direct Mm -hmm. quotes now when you get down to here I don't know if she directly says uh, people should be allowed in in whichever way they want to choose, whether it's homosexuality, incest, bestiality. Well, this one started
0: with like this one starts with a very Christian or anti-Christian slant, Um, but it but it's almost like it's very patent fundamentalist Christians to lump in homosexuality and incest and bestiality and put like all the every everything into one. Whereas if you kind of treat it in different categories, like, and the reason why I'm making this delineation here is that she says, as long as two agree, well, the first one seems like that could be possible. Two people can agree to have a homosexual relationship, but when you get into like bestiality um, or even incest, there's, unless, you know, you're talking about like step brother and stepsister, second remove or something, but there's going to be like a weird family dynamic in there where, um not to sound all like woke and everything but the the element of consent i don't think exists the same way between like a fucking dog or a horse and a person uh although there's videos online that that show that hey man know, the maybe... donkey show <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a the, the uh, classic donkey show dude. quick quick tangent here there's a movie called uh zoo that is a, a dramatization of uh a group of guys that would go out into like the middle of fucking nowhere um uh, America on like this guy's trip and they would like let these horses just do them in and Ooh. one of the dudes died of like a punctured prolapse or some shit yeah like oh. dude he he died from it but it, it very clearly demonstrates that you know that uh, maybe it can be consensual because like the, the guys would all kind of like line up and wait for the horse to like pick one, and oh, the, like oh horse boy. would like lead them into a. Fu- okay, anyways, without getting too much of a tangent, one but, guy's uh, rubbing.
1: <laughs> you know, one guy's rubbing some alfalfa shit on his asshole or something. <laughs> yeah. He's getting that horse to pick him for some reason, and that horse sees a hole and it's going to hit it, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> Why do they keep picking Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't pick me, do they? Pick you? <laughs> I'm not into that shit. Poor no, guys that's hilarious dude like, but i guess say-
0: the, the the point i was making is just that it, it's uh really odd to always see these things all lumped together uh because because we could discuss one of them in a completely different context as the other two yeah i, would say I, thought, I always
2: thought that's what the plus was for
1: the
2: plus is the plus <laughs> is else. for
1: the plus is so that they can add on dude you know what i mean and i think that you already do people say you know there's gonna there's gonna be a p added onto that it's already there it's it's under that plus sign you know what i mean it just isn't formal yet um to answer your question hopefully a little bit on like whether this is like a very christian thing this paper was submitted at covenant college and the a quick google on that brings up the wikipedia where it's a private christian liberal arts college so you know it it is a from a obviously a very christian perspective because because some of this
0: comes to me is like again i don't know the original source material but let's say alice bailey wrote something about how homosexuality should be accepted it seems very patently stereotypically fundamentalist christian to to rewrite that and then plug in that last of like and incest and bestiality as a way to throw shade on the homosexuality part but i don't know the difference well crowley was was fine with bestiality wasn't he Oh, I, I mean, I'm sure, but but uh, conflating Crowley and Alice Bailey, I I just don't know how accurate it is. I'm not standing up for either of them, but if I find it's it harder to Bailey, believe that dude. Alice Bailey was had that that bestiality flag, I just don't know if she was that strong
1: of of a a proponent of that. Hey man, I understand, dude. If you want to stick up for her, she probably was a freak, dude. She probably would get down in some <laughs> nasty ways, but uh, it's fine, dude. You know, no, I, I get it, man. I think he's real freaky. You know, she was, dude. She do some weird shit. She she was like she had that preacher's daughter mentality because she was stuck with an abusive Episcopalian priest, man. You, you know, there's some there's some weird shit she would do. I'm sure. It was
0: the perfect storm for sure. It was, it was the, uh,
1: yeah. the girl that grew up
0: in like the, the uptight fundamentalist Christian household and then just gets dumped in Southern California with a bunch of new age weirdos. You, you know that she, she explored her, herself
1: quite a bit. Oh, yeah. There were some loads blown on her.
2: It's always the preacher's daughter, man. Always.
1: <laughs> oh, for sure. And some of the best out there to, to, to ever do it. But so uh, seven here, debase art, make it run mad. Um, This is an interesting thing, too. I guess Alice Bailey understood that the arts are one of the primary keys to change culture. I would say that's absolutely true. I'm sure that you, Paranoid American, feel that there is some significant um, influence in art. You are an artist. You have a company that is dedicated to this. And uh, you use yours as a fun way to uh, take information that you probably believe to be true, which I would agree with a lot of the stuff, you know, these different theories some of them being very fringe and some of them being provable with government documents talking MK ultra versus like the star fort stuff. And like these, you know, teleportation type things um, you use it for fun, but some people could absolutely use art as a dark way to uh, you know, move culture in one way or the other. I see it as, as this is absolutely true. If you take art and if you make it not as pure as it used to be, which, yeah, there's always been some, some sort of more decadent art, I guess, right? But this is, uh, I see this to be definitely a, a, a key aspect in changing culture. Shannon, do you see any kind of merit to this, you know, debasing art and making the world kind of crazy?
2: Well, I grew up in Chicago, man. And there's some great architecture back there from a while, while ago, what the houses used to look like and everything. Now you look at the buildings they build now, they're nothing nice to look at. They're just cold looking. They, everything used to be real warm. It's not that way anymore even the colors i'm sure that paranoid american you know just the color stuff they use a lot of times they use a lot of stuff to make you feel depressed and not so good
0: yeah i mean we're we're kind of talking about like brutalism and brutalist architecture which basically says like take the most efficient blocky um you know forms and just put them together to cram as much people in them as possible without any real regard to like the, the aesthetics of it
2: right and to then make there's, the way you feel
0: to make you feel i mean it, it's really great for like soviet russia uh, like soviet block apartments uh assembly factories to just get you into that like mechanical machine everything fits into a box mentality brutalist architecture is one of those and another thing here that um corrupt and defile here seem like really loaded words because when you think corrupt the file it's like oh you're gonna you know, make a nasty devil mustache on a nice painting of the Mona Lisa, or you're going to like take a big shit on, you know, the Last Supper or something. But corrupt and defile could also mean taking someone's art that meant something and was steeped in symbolism and then changing it, or like knocking off one symbol or, you know, changing one symbol into another thing to to have it lose its original meaning. Because uh, I'm I'm also a pretty big and promon- uh, proponent of that artwork can contain all sorts of formulas and information and symbols and if you came in and distorted those or corrupted and defiled those symbols you're also destroying uh, part of that artwork um but i but i don't think that just like ugly art and artwork that you know doesn't have
1: Pretty crazy stuff, huh? If you want to listen to the rest of the Lucius Trust and Alice Bailey rabbit hole that we dig ourselves into, you know what to do. Patreon.com slash Dangerous World Podcast, man. I feel like a broken record. But on top of an additional hour of this rabbit hole topic that we find ourselves in, we get a little extra, extra deep in a completely different thing, man. So this is kind of like a bonus on top of a bonus. Head over there. Support the show. Thanks so much, guys. I hope to see you there. But until next time.